Hi, this is Bill Woods, and I wanted to come and talk to you a little bit about what's coming up on Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. It's the day that Jesus uh, made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and we want to celebrate. By the way, uh, our pastor at the Baptist Church, uh, Reverend Nathan Heller, has retired, and so I will be preaching there for until they get a new pastor. I'll be there this Sunday at uh, Palm Sunday, I'll, I, and then Easter Sunday, I've got a, a obligation I need to be at, but then the Sunday after Easter, I will be in the pulpit probably on a regular basis, Sunday morning and Sunday evening. If you happen to be in the Holbrook area, we would love to have you come and be a part of building the kingdom of God here in the Baptist Church. And I look forward to seeing you. Let me know if you heard about this and if this is why you came to church. I want to talk today about the trendy multitude on Palm Sunday. You know, it would have been so exciting to have been in Jerusalem that day that Jesus rode in on that little donkey. Uh, to hear the people, to feel the atmosphere, the excitement that was going on, it would have been a, a tremendous experience. Well, I want to say hang on because our day is coming if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior. I plan to be in the New Jerusalem when King Jesus comes to take his throne. A little boy was sick on Palm Sunday and stayed home from church with his dad or with his mother. His father returned from church holding a palm branch and the boy asked, Why do you have that palm branch, Dad? Well, you see, son, when Jesus came into town, everyone waved palm branches to honor him. So we got palm branches today to remember. The little boy said, oh, shucks, the one Sunday I miss in the sun is the Sunday that Jesus shows up. Sunday is Palm Sunday, the day when a whole city threw a parade for Jesus. As Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the people threw palm branches in anticipation of his coming. Thus, we get the word Palm Sunday. This day marked a time of celebration when Jesus was worshipped and praised. Uh, caught up in the emotion, people spread their garments along the path. Others placed palm branches in the path. We read in Luke 19, 36-38, And as he went... Many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the, to the descent in the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Soon they reached the summit of the Mount of Olives, and it must have been a beautiful sensation. I imagine that as they looked, they could see the temple, uh, the sun shining down on the temple. What a picturesque uh, setting this had to be. The Pharisees complained to Jesus that the crowd was breaking a noise ordinance. Luke 19, 39, 40 said that some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. The little donkey jogged on toward the Kindred Valley. The crowd grew larger, and so did the excitement. The whole valley echoed with cries of Hosanna. The excited crowd got so noisy, the Pharisees again demanded Jesus to quiet them. They were livid because the palm branches the people were waving 
carried several meanings. First, palm branches were often used to celebrate victory. In King David's time, they were used to honor royalty. This made a perfect connection to the true identity of Jesus as King of Kings. Also, waving palm branches represented Jesus as being worthy to be the high priest for all who believe. A palm tree takes 30 years uh, to bear fruit. A man could not become a high priest until he was 30 years old. The ministry of Jesus began when he was 30 years old. And the Pharisees and Sadducees put this together and were just very, very irate about it. Palm branches pointed to Jesus being king and high priest, but there was something else. People were laying their garments down before Jesus. That also carried great meaning. People's cloaks or, or garments were being spread out on the road for the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. This was more than just an act of honor to Jesus. This was acknowledging the declaring and declaring that Jesus is the King of Kings, the promised Messiah. The word garment here is uh, the word talit uh, or prayer shawl, a seamless garment uh, with a tassel attached to each of the four corners to remind the Jewish people of all the commands of God. On the collar were Hebrew letters spelling Lord of Lords and King of Kings as a reminder of the promised Messiah. By laying their talents down, the people acknowledged Jesus was God's promised Messiah. They were declaring Jesus worthy to be called the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Now, whether it was the palm branches or the garments, it all pointed to Jesus as the Messiah, the high priest, and the king which made the Pharisees livid and irate and hate Jesus all the more. They wanted it to stop. Jesus said if the people held their voices, the stones would cry out. Lots of rocks were around there, and the Pharisees looked around and thought, man, with all these rocks, it might be worse. The Pharisees concluded in John 12:19, therefore you, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him, and it must have seemed that way. This day is bittersweet for us because as we read of the celebration, we know that Friday is coming, and the cross is coming. Many in that same crowd would in a few days change their words of praise to words of death, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, and then later shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. Today I want to consider two services, both focused on Jesus, but with two different results. Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 38 says, After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As they came to the town of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into the village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there at, that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead, 
of him. When they reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of the followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, and glory in the highest heaven. My, what a wonderful celebration. But listen to Matthew twenty-seven, fifteen through 26. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone they wanted. This year there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Well, he knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message. Leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, Which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas! Pilate responded, Then what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? And they shouted back, Crucify him! Uh, you know, but Pilate said, Why? What crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, Crucify him! Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing, so he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, We will take responsibility for his death, we and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tip whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. You know, Billy Graham said, the greatest mission field in our country today is in our local churches. The people going are already in the churches, but they need to make commitments to Jesus Christ. I'm not sure if this is true or not, but one thing I do know is that many people know what to say and how to say it, even how to act in it, but when the rubber meets the road, there's no personal relationship with Jesus Christ. No salvation, just empty words. We see a perfect example of this in our passages that I just read. On Sunday, Jesus rode into the city with the people shouting and praising God for the wonderful miracles that they had seen. By Friday, they were shouting, Give us Barabbas! We want him! Crucify Jesus! Crucify him! Why? Why the change? There are many reasons, but one simple reason is their words didn't match their heart. They had a casual knowledge, not a committed faith. They had religion, but they miss the person of Jesus Christ. How can we have a committed faith? How can we be real and sincere? It's by being consistent in all we do. Here are some keys to just uh, such a faith. First key, I commit to a committed faith, not self-centered, but Christ-centered. This seems obvious, but we often miss it. Americans tend to say, well, hey God, there's my calendar and my agenda. I can squeeze you in here or here. 
pulling God out or turning to God only when it's convenient or useful is not what we should be doing. We need to serve him all the time. Luke 19.36 says, As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. The people praised Jesus as he passed by, but many of them praised him for two reasons. First, because of his miracles. He had healed the sick. He had raised the dead. He had fed them with a little boy's lunch. They praised him because he was serving them. Second, they saw in Jesus a way to be politically delivered from the Romans. They wanted Jesus to be set to set them free from Rome as Israel had been set free from Egypt by Moses. Their praise was tempered with the attitude of what can Jesus do for me? A few days later at the trial they they saw a beaten and disfigured Jesus. Bible says he wasn't even recognizable. A man who no longer looked like a deliverer or a conqueror as words were said about him they they bought into the lies that were being told and quickly changed their position. For them, it was all about me, 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 what I want. There, there's a legend about an ancient village in Spain. The villagers learned that the king was coming to visit. It had been a thousand years since the king had been into their village, and the king had never come to their village, and, and this was going to be a real thing. Excitement grew. We must throw a big celebration, they said. The villagers all agreed, but it was a poor village and there weren't many resources. Someone came up with a classic idea. He said since many of the villagers made their own wine, everyone could bring a large cup of their choice wine to the town square. We'll pour it into a large vat and offer it to the king for his pleasure. When the king drinks his wine, It'll be the very best that he's ever tasted. Well, the day before the king arrived, hundreds of people lined up bringing their offering to the honored guest. They climbed a small stairway and poured their wine through a small opening at the top. Finally, the vat was full. Next day, the king arrived and was escorted to the square. He was given a silver cup and told to draw some wine, which represented the very best that the villagers had. He placed the cup under the spigot, turned the handle, and drank the wine. Why, it was nothing more than water. Every villager reasoned, I'll keep my best wine and substitute water. With, with so many cups of wine in the vat, the king won't know the difference. But the problem was, everyone thought the same way. The king was greatly dishonored. Today, you know, Palm Sunday 2023, choose to honor our great king, Jesus Christ, by giving him your very best, withholding nothing, giving him your all. Seems reasonable since he gave 100% for us. The second key is a committed faith that is a relationship driven. Many who throw their coats and palm branches on the street and shouted praises did it because uh, it was the popular thing to do that day. A at that one brief moment, it became trendy. Probably some had sincere motives, but others did it because their peers were doing it. Later at the trial, they were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Well, that was the same thing everybody was doing it. In fact, 
for a brief, brief moment, it was the trendy thing to do, making a mass murderer and criminal their hero when they shouted, we want Barabbas. For us, a committed faith comes only through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship where he personally directs our steps. To have a committed faith, we must develop a personal relationship with Jesus. The third key, that that committed faith isn't swayed or blocked by our personal trials and crises. At the parade, it was trendy to join the praises. Everyone was doing it. At the trial, to speak out for Jesus was risky, might even be life-threatening. That's the reason that Peter denied our Savior three different times, if you remember the story. Many of us come to Jesus expecting everything to go well. Maybe some slight bad incident, but not, not too much of it. So when the bottom drops out, we ask God why, thinking it's not supposed to happen this way. It's our faith based on our situations and circumstances. It'll never be committed. It'll always be casual if we think that we have no problems, no, no hard places. I've gone to exciting Christian events. People pack large stadiums where praises for God rocked the entire arena, where everyone was praising and singing and shouting. And some going home, everyone's still glowing from the worship experience. It's easy to do that in that kind of an atmosphere. But tomorrow, when you face the hard task, can you praise God in a world that isn't all praising him? A world that's mocking and laughing and is often angry? A committed faith takes the bad with the good. Knowing all that we are promised is that in the midst of both our good and bad, Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. He will stand with us and give us strength for what we have to face. A little girl walking in a garden noticed a particularly beautiful flower. She enjoyed its beauty and its fragrance. It's so pretty, she exclaimed. As she gazed on it, her eyes followed the stem down to the soil in which it grew. This flower is too pretty to be planted in dirt, she cried. She pulled it up by the roots and ran to the water faucet to wash away the soil. Soon the flower wilted and died. When the gardener saw what she'd done, he exclaimed, You've destroyed my finest plant. I'm sorry, but I didn't like it in that dirt, she said. The gardener said, I chose that spot and mixed the soil because I knew that was the only place there it could grow to be as beautiful flower. God has placed you exactly where you are. Trust him. By trusting him, you will eventually see he's using the pressures, the trials, the difficulties you face to bring you to new heights of spiritual beauty. True contentment comes when you accept what God's doing and thank him for it. Today, is your faith casual or committed? Today, as we approach Holy Week, remember how our Savior suffered incredibly for us. A week, uh, you know, that we can have where we remember our sins were nailed to his cross, offering his forgiveness to us and eternal life to us to be with him forever. Doesn't Jesus deserve a second look? Doesn't he deserve total control of your life? 
Don't you think he deserves a personal relationship with you and you should have a personal relationship with him? Today, choose to accept his love and give your all to him. One of my favorite songs is I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. I want to give you a little bit about the history. I Decided to Follow Jesus is a Christian hymn originating from India. The lyrics are based on the last words of a man in Garo Assam. About 150 years ago, there was a great revival in Wales. As a result of this, many missionaries came to northeast India to spread the gospel. The region known as Assam, I think that's how you pronounce it, was comprised of hundreds of tribes who were primitive and aggressive headhunters. Into these hostile and aggressive communities came a group of missionaries from the American Baptist Mission spreading the message of love, peace, and hope in Jesus Christ. Naturally, they were not welcomed. One missionary succeeded in converting a man, his wife, and two children. This man's faith proved contagious, and many villagers began to accept Christianity. Angry, the village chief summoned all the villagers. He then called the family who had first converted to renounce their faith in public or face execution. Moved by the Holy Spirit, the man said, I have decided to follow Jesus. Enraged at the refusal of the man, the chief ordered his archers to shoot the two children. As both boys lay twitching on the floor, the chief asked, Will you deny your faith? You have lost both your children, and you will lose your wife too. But the man replied, Though no one joins me, still I will follow. The chief was beside himself with fury and ordered his wife to be shot. In a moment, she joined her two, two children in death. Now he asked for the last time, if you will give, I will give you one more opportunity to, not, to deny your faith and live. In the face of death, the man said the final memorable lines, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. He was shot dead like the rest of his family, but with their deaths, a miracle took place. The chief who had ordered the killings was moved by the faith of the man. He couldn't get away from it. He wondered, why should this man, his wife, and two children die for a man who lived in a faraway land on another continent some 2,000 years ago? There must be some remarkable power behind the family's faith. And the more he thought about it, he thought, I too want to taste that faith. In a spontaneous confession of faith, he declared, I too belong to Jesus Christ. When the crowd heard this from their chief, the whole village accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. The song is based on the last words of Noxang, a man from Garo tribe of Assam uh, in India. It is today the song of the Garo people. And I, I have decided to follow Jesus. I, I decided, too, that I was going to give you a sample of this song. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. 
the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. Though no none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. Will you decide now to follow Jesus? Will you decide now to follow Jesus? Will you decide now to follow Jesus? No turning back, no turning back. My hope is that you will decide to follow Jesus and he'll make him the Savior and Lord of your life. As we celebrate Palm Sunday and the next week as we celebrate the resurrection, stop and realize that Jesus Christ has earned a place in your life too. Father, help us that we might make the decision to follow you and be the people you want us to be. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, if you want to get in touch with me, you know the the that you can use my phone number that you have probably and leave a text message telling me what you need. You can use my email address, lowercase r-e-v-w-m-w-w-o-o-d-s at gmail.com. You can write to me, Box 4031, Sun Valley, Arizona, 86029, or you can call me, 623-845-2741. Or you can come to church and meet me at the First Baptist Church in Holbrook, Arizona. God bless you. We'll talk to you later.